Donna Otto and her husband live in Phoenix, Arizona. When we spoke earlier this year, um, we were covered in snow here, and she was in beautiful Phoenix, uh, and we talked about the differences in the weather there. I was a little jealous there, but hopefully she's enjoyed a little bit of the New England weather we've had the last couple of days. Uh, when we spoke, uh, the reason I always speak with anyone who comes and speaks on our platform here is to... Uh, just ask uh, them about themselves and their ministry and make sure this is uh, who God would have speak to us. And just listening to Donna speak about the ministry she has, not only to women, but that God has used her to speak to men and women and churches throughout the country. Uh, I knew that she had a word not just for our ladies yesterday at the tea, but that God wanted to use her this morning to speak to us as a church. And I heard yesterday was a wonderful event she is an author and a speaker. Uh, she leads an organization called Homemakers by Choice, and God has given her a word to speak to us this morning. Would you welcome Donna Otto as she comes this morning? How's that? Ah, oh, there you go. Thank you. Shall I try that again? Good morning. I, <laughs> I do live in Phoenix, and uh, my husband and I have been there for 36 years. I migrate from Chicago, and I love the big city. So just being close to this kind of culture that you are privileged to live in makes me happy, makes me happy. My husband will ask me when I get home tomorrow, okay, you didn't sign any leases to live in Boston, did you? Thank you so much. I have felt your warmth and love and acceptance. Uh, yesterday was a delightful event. Um, your woman's leader, Alana, and her team, who I had to meet, got the privilege of meeting with on Friday night, our people who follow after Jesus. Oh, what a delight. What a delight to share in that. Um, we talked about relationships and about this day being Mother's Day. And my mother went on to the next part of her life in 2001. And uh, we had a strained relationship all the days of our lives because I was the reason, born before she and my father were married, that she had to live this life that she was living. And it was many years um, after I came to fully understand and what Rick was saying this morning, that this is, this part of parenting, it is it's a wonderful privilege that mothers have. But it isn't easy. Wendy's right when she prayed this morning. It isn't easy. I think it's the hardest work we will ever do. It is deep and relational and changing every minute. Isn't it? Oops. Every minute. One minute they're this way and the next minute they're that way. And we've got to be women of confidence. And our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in God. It is in Jesus Christ. And when that confidence in Jesus Christ exudes from us, whatever we do, we do the best we can and we let it go. Thanks for the clip, Rick, that 
Mops is doing a great job, and she has a great voice. I'm glad it is being used around the country. I've observed well your life here together in these last few days. I guess you might say with a big nose like mine, I'm kind of nosy. And um, so I'm watching what's going on and who's talking to who and how they're integrating and does pe do people interface with one another. And I'm here to report that I saw lots of good things these last few days, last few days. I fly a lot, I fly a lot because of the work I get to do and I never feel like I have to do this. I always feel like I get to do this. It is a great joy to get to do what I do. So I fly Southwest Airlines. Anybody Southwest Airlines person? I fly it as often as I can because I like their model. I like what they do. I know people have said they're the cattle train and you have to wait in line. And it's okay, I understand all that. But I have had great experiences with Southwest. And about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I was flying with Southwest. Have anyone ever had a, like a little poem read on Southwest or they sing a song? Anybody have any of that? Maybe it's only in the Southwest as they, yes, okay. Well, that's one of their models. I think they actually hire ex-thesbians or those who want to be. So there's always some little dandy thing going on. And I get a little social jeopardy when they start that. Because I think, oh, that's not a good idea. You know, that's kind of dangerous territory. Singing a song like that, I mean, not everybody's going to like this. And then I'm worried for the attendant who may be singing the song or who may be the poetry and nobody likes it but so I'm kind of highly sensitive to what's going on I get on the plane one day and this attendant stands at the front of the plane down the center aisle and she says these words today we're going to play a game together do, do we play games on planes what do we do on planes we sleep yeah we sleep we read we eat, maybe, not on Southwest unless you bring your own. But she said, we're going to play a game. And I thought, oh, no, maybe I should kneel and pray for her because she's really in dangerous territory. So the plane gets up. We get, you know, 30,000 feet above the earth. And she comes and stands right here in the middle of this aisle. And she says, and this is the game we're going to play. And she has a roll of toilet paper in her hand. And she said, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to roll this roll of toilet paper down the center of the plane. Are you, are you following me here? We're on a plane with strangers. Hello. Down the center of the plane, and then we're going to break it at the back, and I'm going to count the number squares, and you're going to guess the closest number, and the one who guesses the closest number is going to win a prize. I am such social jeopardy, I can hardly stand it. It turns out I want to cooperate so I look around and I think well and I counted them how many squares and four inches so I had my number I was ready because I thought I may be the only person on the plane who gives the number <laughs> turned out everybody played everybody laughed I was I almost incensed it was just so funny and so fun so I just you know you things happen to you and you just plug them in your mind you don't think I never thought about it again Every morning, I write in my own personal journal, and I start the morning by writing the word review. Review. And it's helped me stay close to God. Because I say, Lord, what happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? Was there something yesterday I missed? Was there something I did I need to 
get right? Is there something I did that blessed you and you want to encourage me with it? I wrote the review. I went back and looked. I never wrote anything about the toilet paper game. Nothing. <laughs> just thought, okay, happened. Well, a couple of years ago, I was doing just what I'm doing right now. And I left Phoenix midweek to come to the East to speak on a Mother's Day weekend. And I get on the plane, the Southwest plane, not the same attendant because I checked it out. And this guy stands up and he says, today we're going to make Mother's Day cards for our mothers. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 they're not going to do this, I'm thinking. Nobody is making a Mother's Day card on a plane with strangers 30,000 feet above the earth. They're not going to do this. Once again, wrong Donna Otto. We get up. She passes out paper. They're in this together, the guy and the gal. She passes out paper, and I think, good, they're going to take the paper, but nobody's going to do this. I'm such a you know, negative Nelly about this. Within five minutes, they have the kids' as Crayolas out. They have magic markers out. They don't have enough reds, and a woman gives up her lipstick. <laughs> Another man is trying to punch a hole. With, he doesn't have a hole punch, and they're asking, does anybody have one of those office things in your suitcase you know, that found a hole punch, but then they couldn't find anything to put together, and a woman gave a piece of her dental floss. <laughs> But the coup de coup was a young man sort of toward the back of the plane, and he comes and he has made a puppet for his mother out of the vomit bag. He's <laughs> got a face and a ha-la-la-la-la. I am stunned. And then what happens is even more stunning. Someone stands up from where he is and he says, I want to tell you that my Mother's Day card is for my wife, who's sitting next to him. And he stands up, and he reads this paragraph or two that he's written about his wife and what a great woman she is and what a great mother she is and how thankful he is. And people are starting to get emotive. Um, <laughs> and then someone else stands up and has made a little rhyme, you know, roses are red kind of rhyme. And then suddenly, someone stands up and walks from midway of the plane to the front of the plane to get the amplification from the attendant. And he reads the most powerful thing he has written. And really, a lot of us are in tears. A lot of us are in tears. And then it was over. We went back to flying wherever we were flying. But the next morning, I wrote in my review, and I thought, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, strangers, strangers 30,000 feet above the earth want to be connected. They want to be, oh, Lord, help the church. Help us to be men and women and people who are willing to give ourselves away that we might connect with those who are alone, those who are in need, those who do not know Christ as their Savior, but can be connected to another human being because of love and compassion and kindness. And as I was thinking about this morning and my opportunity, my privilege to speak to you for a few minutes out of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, I, I never thought I'd get to the place in my life that I would say I have some favorites. But I love this book. This book has 
taught me and trained me, corrected me, chastised me, loved me, reminded me about how much God loves me. Not this paper book, but the words of this book. And as I've gotten a little older, I'm making some favorite choices, and I'm studying a little harder and a little longer in some of those places. And I say to the young women that I mentor and teach and train in my town and community, get somewhere in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant in one of the epistles and know it. Know it well. Know who's the author. Know where he comes from. Know why he did it. Know who he's speaking to. Know, know it well. Make it a part of the warp and woof of your life. First and Second Timothy and Titus were books that I did with that. I did that with as a young woman, and I am so so grateful for it. Well, today is Mother's Day, and how in the world can Donna Otto get John 17 into mothers? I want you to know that I, I so believe that God had said John 17, and I wasn't looking for anything to do with mothers. I just was studying. This year, I've had the privilege of teaching the final discourse, which is the five chapters that start in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. They're the last day, day and a half, that Jesus has with his small group. 12 turned 11. And this is Jesus, God, the Spirit, saying his last thoughts, his reminders of everything else he said, saying often to them, you don't understand this now, but you will understand it. You will understand every piece of this. Don't worry about it. And I'm going away and I have to go away. And if I don't go away, the most important things will not happen. And I know that we as a church talk a lot about the cross. It is the hallmark of our faith, the cross. But when I read these chapters, especially these five chapters, I can't help but ask the question, well, Golgotha matters, but so did Bethlehem. So did Bethlehem. And the last three years of the ministry of Jesus Christ are important, essential, he, he did so many things that help us to see and understand the work of the triune God. But he also lived one to 30 years doing things. I know there's not much written about it. But when I got to John 17, I thought to myself, I got it. I, for the first time in my own faith, I thought, I understand what this prayer, this often called high priestly prayer or the Lord's Lord's prayer or the church's prayer, and it is a prayer. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus Christ himself prays here on earth. They're the last words to his disciple. It's a prayer. It's an out loud prayer. I want to say that a couple of times because there must be one or two of us, at least in this room, that have difficulty praying out loud. Oh, don't be afraid. Take this wonderful model. Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, he shows us how to pray. Don't be afraid to speak these words out loud. But as I <clears throat> read this and studied it this last year, I thought to myself, what I see here is the culmination of those 30 years, the closeness, the intimacy. No place in the scripture 
Can I see the heart of Jesus more than I can see in these five chapters and especially in this prayer? The intimacy he has with God. The new covenant he has just given which says love God and love others. And he is loving God and he is showing us how he loves God. And then he's showing us how he loves others. Even those who sit at the table with you and betray you. How many of you have sat at a table with someone who betrayed you? Been in a room with someone who betrayed you? Not, not just said an unkind thing about you, but betrayed you. Um, I see this, this 26 verses um, being such an important message to me and to us, to the church, to be connected, to be close, to be intimate with others. Psalm 51.6 says that God wants us to know the deep desires of our own heart. God wants Donna Otto to know the deep desires of my own heart. Intimacy with myself, with God, through the Spirit of God, with others. If there was ever a Mother's Day message that I think I could give on behalf of all mothers and grandmothers and women who have walked the face of the earth, it would be be family. If you have more than two kids, love your sister, love your brother, get along. Call up your sister and see how she's doing. Honey, call the kids and see how they are. Did you see the grandkids lately? Mothers are always getting their noses into being a family. Isn't it true? Did your mother ever say you should call your cousin? I don't want to call my cousin, Mom. I'm not really crazy about her. <laughs> call your cousin. She's your family. And here I see uh, Jesus' prayer reminding us of our intimacy with him and with others and with the family of God. Mark 3 and 30 was a passage of verses, a couple of verses, that really changed my life because my biological family was a mess. Um, and I couldn't count on my biological family. And then in God's pure love for me, he sent a church family to love me and care for me. Oh, church, oh, love and pray for those who are on the fringes. I was an ugly duckling bus kid from a broken and tumultuous home. And they took me in and loved me and cared for me. Uh, to this day, I am so grateful for every one of those faces and words and activities that happened to me. They loved me. And then as I grew in my faith, I read that little snippet of the mother, the mother of Jesus. When I studied it a bit, it's kind of an acoustic tone that she has because Mary, little Jewish mother Mary, who wants to keep everybody happy in her family, can't find Jesus. Why? Where is he? He's out doing too much. Anybody ever have a mother say to you, stop doing too much? Let me see your hands if you've ever had a mother say to you, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. Slow back, cut back. My mother-in-law and I had one of the biggest arguments we ever had. I didn't actually have it with her. I had it with her son, my husband. <laughs> okay, you boys, don't lie. I'm going to give you a little flack here. But you boys do this thing to your mothers. Oh, mother. Oh, mother, I'm so tired. And then my mother-in-law would call me on the phone the next day, and she would say, Donna, you're just doing too many things, and David needs his rest. 
So one day we were at mother and dad's house and David said, oh mother, I'm so tired. Oh my gosh, the wrath of Donna Otto. When we got in the car, I yelled so loudly, if you ever say again to your mother, you are tired. He said, what, 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 what happened? What just happened? I said, I get the call tomorrow morning. Never. So to this day, he says, oh, I'm not tired. No, 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 no. How are you doing? I say, oh, I'm not tired. No, he says, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm reading from the ESV. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, he didn't talk about praying, he just prayed, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Typically, this passage is divided in 26 verses into three places. So I'm not messing with a great plan. One to five. And this is Jesus praying to his father. He's praying to his father. And then verses 6 to 19, he's praying for his friends and his disciples. And then the last verses, 20 through 26, he's praying for the church. Praying for the church to come. Most powerful prayer. And here I, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Lord, for all the years that I have encouraged women to find out what is God's purpose for them. What is God calling you to do? Oh, yes, there are these roles we have. We are women, and women are different than men, aren't they? We are wives. We are mothers. That's a different role than husband or father. We, we keep the home. We still keep the home. Statistically, even though women are working more outside of the home, men really look forward to their wives to tell them what to do to help them out at home. How many of you find that to be true? You know, most guys don't get up on Monday morning and say, I think I'll make a market list and a menu plan and figure out, unless their wife has said, honey, would you be in charge of food this week? Okay, I'll do that. But, but women have these roles, the same as men have some roles, but that's not to do with the purpose that God has planned for you. And he is saying here, I have accomplished the purpose. Jesus Christ knew the purpose that God had given him for his life. That's very encouraging to me. That's very encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope it's encouraging because it says to me, you can know his purpose, and then he will strengthen you to do his purpose. And it'll probably look different than anybody else down the block. Let that go. Do what his purpose was. Do what God has called you to do. I am a black and white girl. Now, I'm a black and white girl. Mentally, I'm a black and white girl. I love black and white because it's clean and simple. And I only wear black and white clothes. Men, I know, that's not a very big important thing to you. But truly, haven't had anything else on my body, any other color, for 31 years. So it's boring, simple, easy. It just is what it is. 
But I can remember having this picture about this verse, about this purpose of God, and my finding out, oh, I said a billion times, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what's your purpose for me? Okay, I did the evaluation. I know that I'm a dominant personality. Okay, good, I got that. And then I did the evaluation, and I, I read through the scripture. I had others affirm to me, affirm to me what my spiritual gifts are. Okay, good, Lord, but what do you want me to do? I kept, I kept saying, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm doing something, but what do you want me to do? And then I, I got to the passage in Corinthians where he talks about our coming face to face with God and his looking at the gifts he gave us. And you know my picture? My picture was the most beautiful wrapped box. It was white paper, had black ribbon. It was beautiful. The corners were tight. There was no tape showing. It was beautiful. It was kind of big. And I am proceeding toward God with my beautiful box. I, I have your gifts, Lord, and I'm, I'm, here they are. And, and what I heard, the voice in the sense of my own soul was, that's not what I want. I want you to thrash that box I want you to tear open the ribbon, tear off the paper, make that box in shreds, get it down so that when I see you face to face, all the things that I have given you will be used up because you gave them away as a part of your purpose. And when I read this, then here is Jesus saying, I have glorified you on earth. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It shows his transparency. It shows his union. It shows that he is accomplishing and acknowledges that God, even to Jesus, gave a purpose, a purpose and something to accomplish. Finish strong. My husband and I have this life motto together. Not just finish, but finish strong. Finish strong. Find out what God's purpose is for you and accomplish it. And then... We find these verses in um, 9 or 6 through 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they believed you sent me. A lot of things that he has told his disciples, they have believed, they have heard, they have come to know what you told me to do. There are a lot of activities that Jesus is assuring in this prayer that he has done. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. But for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of perdition or the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they were not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified. There's so many nuggets in that group of verses. They were given. He took them carefully. He continued his work with them. He's praying for them. He's praying for them and asking God to keep them. He acknowledges the fact that he's going away. I love the great mystery of God. I didn't always love it because I wanted to answer it. I wanted to know how it was possible that I could be a saint and a sinner. Anyone ever struggle with that big question? I'll tell you how, how serious I got about it. I said, that's just not possible, because how can you be two things at one time, especially as opposite as a saint and a sinner? So I got two little flat stones from my yard, little flat, they call them river stones, because the river rushes over them, and they get real smooth, and I got a red marker, one of those bubble paint things, and I wrote sinner on one, and then I wrote saint on another. You see how serious I am about this question? And then I put one in each of my pockets. I even took a few skirts to the place to have a pocket put in it. Because I said, I'm going to put these stones in my pocket. I'm going to wear these stones for one year next to me. And I'm going to ask you every day, Lord, how is this mystery possible? And you know what I came to? I came to know that a mystery is always a mystery. I did come to know this very life-changing thing for me, and that was that for all of us, we pull one of those stones out first. We pull out the saint one, a little arrogant me, I'm pretty good, I'm doing fine. Yeah, let me tell you what I did yesterday. Anybody like that in this room? Nobody's going to raise their hand for that one. Or we pull out the, sin, the sinner one. Oh, I'm a worm and undone. Nothing I do could possibly be worth anything. Anybody like that in this room? But I really believe what the Lord was saying to me, and I think it is good for all of us to be reminded of, is that what he wants us to do is to believe the mystery. Believe the mystery. Don't try to figure it out, Donna Otto. Always trying to figure it out. Am I a sinner or am I a saint? How could I be one another? They're so diametrically opposed to one another. And what I felt he's saying to me is, believe the mystery you just are. And do everything you can to pull both of them out at the same time. Accept the fact that I am a saint and a sinner at the same time. I just am. It's a mystery. And I think that this is what he is talking to us about in these verses. I love them. You love them. How did he get to here? Why is he doing this? It's a mystery. The model Jesus shows us is that we must love God most. We've been hearing this this morning, that nothing else can get before us. 1 John 5 and 27 says, and have no idols above me. 
Who is it on this Mother's Day that's more important to you? I can tell you that my daughter, who is 45, um, this month, there was a season when I got terribly afraid. Terribly afraid. I've never said this out loud or to an audience, but I got terribly afraid that she wasn't going to like me like I didn't like my mother. She was going through such an individuation period. How many of you have heard that word from one of your children? Ah! Oh! I remember thinking, oh, curse that word. Take individuation out of the library. Take it out of the dictionary. I don't want you to individuate. What's wrong with being my daughter? Well, there was a lot wrong with that. Um, and God really used it in our lives. But I remember in that season being so fearful, being so clutched by fear, that really God wasn't first. My daughter was first. I thought about it. I talked about it. You know, we talk about, we think about, we pray for, we do what we love most. What are you talking about? What are you thinking about? Is it football, baseball, each other, finances? All these things are things we can have in our speaking world, in our thinking being. But God has to be first. And I don't mean in some silly order of God first, others second, everything comes in a ladder and you can't talk about anything until you've talked about God. But I'm talking about the fact that these things can take over us. What Jesus is saying here is I'm going away. I'm going away. I've been a part of this Mediterranean community here. You've come to know me and love me, and I've been here, and I'm going to help you. But like this family who is moving away, they are going away. And he says, the world will know you if you stay united together, if you stay connected with one another. This unity piece is so clear all through this passage. And, and it would be easy to talk about what unity looks like, but I think unity looks first like our being able to connect with one another, to love God and to love others, to be faithful, to have this joy, this sense of joy that John speaks of in so many places. In 329, he says, the joy of mine is now complete. In 511, my joy is in you. May your joy be full. In 16, he says, your sorrow will, your sorrow, the sorrow over his death will soon turn to joy, just like the sorrow in childbirth. Moms, if you're a mom in this room, you've been there. You've been there like Lucas's mom, delivering a child. That is sorrow. That is pain. That is the real grit of pain. That is amazingly forgotten, the scripture tells us. What is this pain in childbirth? But the joy of the child is so great that you forget about it. Well, you don't actually forget about it, do you women? We kind of like to talk about it especially for the group with women. We can tell our pregnant stories so well. So well. Well, when I see this group of verses, I, I was reading it one time, uh, maybe seven or eight months ago, and I thought, there's so much mother-likeness in Jesus as he prays for his disciples. Uh, so much mother-likeness. Now, I've spent a good part of my adult life encouraging young women, the joy of my life. I love women. I love young women. I don't know why, because I feel kind of old and dorky some days. Um, I, I remember saying, 
am I at all cool? I really like to be a little cool. And one of the young women said, no, no. <laughs> you are not cool. And I, I was kind of deflated. I, I really was. I was a little deflated. But what she said afterward was encouraging. You don't have to be cool to be liked and useful. And you have been such an encouragement to me. I love getting to do what I get to do. And I see this piece here so mother-like. And there's so many places in the scripture that remind us of mothers. And this section does it. There's the Trinity piece, the closeness of the triune God. There's Matthew who reminds us that Jesus is gathering the hen like a hen with his little chicks underneath him. And these certainly look like his chicks, don't they? He calls for these things. I made a list of them. I've protected them. I've guarded them. You gave them to me. They don't belong to me. Our children don't belong to us, do they? They belong to God, and he gives them to us to supervise, to steward. He says, I taught them, and parents teach. They taught it, and then they caught it because they live with them. I trained them, and then he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. And parents often have this shame over, oh, I'm just praying for my kids. It appears here that Jesus is praying for his kids. He says, I am not ashamed to tell you that I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these 11. And then he says, I'm going away. Now, I, I was thinking about this just a few days ago. There's a phrase now called the helicopter parent. You know what that is, the helicopter parent? Hovers very close. Institutions around the country are now hiring full-time staff people to deal with the helicopter parent. They don't call that. They don't call it that. They call it a parent-student advisor. But that's the person you call when you say, hey, what's going on with my kid? And here's Jesus. He's saying, I'm going away. As a matter of fact, it almost sounds like he's saying, I'm leaving them here. He's not trying to take them with him. He's not saying, oh, God, could you just let me take all these 11 with me? No, he's, he's seeing what God has planned. And he wants to finish that and accomplish it. They're staying, I'm going. And then he says, I guarded them. One of the translations says, I posted a night watchman. Do mamas post night watchmen in the middle of the night? He speaks of them in a sanctifying process. And then he says, Jesus Christ himself, in verse 19, that they, that I might also consecrate myself. I, I can't imagine I'm startled by the fact that Jesus needs more consecration. But he says, God, I consecrate myself for their sakes. I sanctify myself for their sakes. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to the cross tomorrow. I'm going to finish this for their sakes. Help me. This is a revelation of God that he has been called to the reconciliation of the world the atonement for all humanity, for all humanity's sin, and he is about to finish it, about to finish it. And he prays this wonderful prayer for these, his loved ones. And then this last, this last few verses is Jesus praying for the church to come. 
Now, now stop for just a minute in your thinking, and I'm almost finished. Um, the, remember what's going on when this prayer is being prayed. Put in a little context. This is the small world of the Middle East where Jesus and his band of disciples have been walking and resting and going to and hiding from those people who are trying to kill him and hiding from the family, um, helping the family of Lazarus be hidden. Uh, Jesus has just come in the Sunday before, and if you've been to the Holy Land, it's a little tiny hill from the village of Bethany, and you stand on the little hill, and it's almost like the crooked street in San Francisco, you know, kind of winds down, and there's the city of Jerusalem, and he comes in, and the last place Jesus should have gone is the city of Jerusalem. They were looking for him. They were looking for him. They knew in an instant that he was back in town. So this is the context with which he is talking about um, where, what's going on in his community. There is no big church. The Holy Spirit has not come. Acts hasn't even been thought about yet. He's marching toward the cross that will begin that process. And the 40 days that come after the resurrection and the Pentecostal moment when the church is founded and the spirit is acknowledged and he's been telling him i gotta go away because if i don't go away the holy spirit can't come and those boys are saying whoa 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 whoa, whoa. What, who is the holy spirit we got you and that's good enough so so put in context there that now jesus christ prays a prayer out loud for me for you 20 centuries ago he prays a prayer out loud that has your name on it. Has your name on it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. Not just my friends, not just these 11 I've traveled with, but for all those who will believe that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me. 24, <clears throat> Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. 25, O righteous Father, that even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in you. He is praying to his Father, for all of us. For all of us. I'm, I'm rendered speechless about it. 
When I think of the people who prayed for me, who loved me, who connected with me, who took time to nurture me and encourage me. This afternoon, I have one of the great joys of my life. And while this morning I opened little treasures from my grandchildren, my daughter, and my husband in my room by myself, and I miss not having them this afternoon, I get to go to be with my spiritual mother who lives here and who no doubt's name you know, Elizabeth Elliot. She prayed for me and loved me and cared for me and spoke harshly to me when I needed to be spoken harshly to and raised her bony finger at me and said, you will remember these things. Just as Jesus said to his loved ones, you will remember these things. Why? Because he is going off and leaving these guys with the message that is to come. And he knows what the world will look like. And he knows that I, Donna Otto, and you, calling yourself my name, are going to live in the world that is to come and will need to know Jesus Christ. In the midst of it, he says, I want them to know that we loved each other. He's just given the new covenant the night before and the new covenant is no longer that there will be a sacrifice given in the temple, but the sacrifice will be given once and once for all at the cross. And that I will be able to count on that sacrifice. And that the new rules, the new laws are very simple. Love God and love one another. And he has just described it in 26 verses of his own words. I loved you, God. I did your purpose. I love these others. I love these others in so many ways. I love these others. But I'm leaving them here because that's the next part of God's big plan. And then there are these people who are to come centuries from now whose names God knows who will come to find God's love. My husband and I live in Arizona. We've been there for 36 years. I may have said that. <clears throat> and we love the house that God gave us. We're in the same house. It's been revised. It's been torn down. <clears throat> We've added a, a cottage so people can come. Partly that was because people kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> we hope one day that we'll live in the cottage because it's small and be less for us to take care of, and we feel like God's really given us this land, and We've had so many events and weddings and parties and showers and birthdays and church events and, oh, seminary events and served on the seminary board and just so many events. But our favorite events are the events that we call the 1024ers. The 1024ers. These are the events that really could have come out of my Southwest Air ride could have come out of that, but it came out of my husband's heart. He said, let's have a 1024 party. Now, I'm always up for a party. I, I always am up for a party. Let's have a party is a good opening line for me. The answer is usually yes. <clears throat> but I didn't know what a 1024 party was. And he said, we're going to invite the people who have encouraged us. I said, really? Well, that's a lot of people. He said, yeah. We may have to have a lot of 1024 parties. And we may do it more than once. It was and has been the joy of our lives. What God is calling us to is to love one another, to encourage one another. 1024 party or not, 
find a way to take this powerful prayer of Jesus here in John 17 to encourage someone else. Have a 1024 cup of coffee. Have a 1024 dinner party. Have a 1024 small group. Hebrews 1024, to stir one another up to good deeds, to find out what God's purpose is in their lives and to encourage them to do it. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the earth-shaking, shattering news of your great love, for the mystery that we must accept and not try to figure out, and for this prayer that you prayed that we might read centuries later, generations later, and for all the generations that are come until you return We are grateful. Thank you, Lord, from my heart for the privilege of being here with this congregation this morning. In your holy name we pray. Amen.